The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. How many of you, uh, if you're honest right now, um, you're, you're worn. That song was you. Just, can you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. Lord Jesus, um, I thank you that you're a high priest that's not separated from us, that only has some sort of intellectual understanding of suffering. But Lord, you um, took our place. You know our suffering. You're, you were acquainted with grief. So Lord, as my brothers and my sisters raise their hand this morning to say that they're worn, we know that we talk to a high priest who's kind and compassionate and sympathetic. We talk to a high priest now who says, I know, I know. And Lord, not only are you a sympathetic high priest, but you are a sovereign high priest. And you say, I know, and I will be there with you, and I will accomplish much. So, Lord, for my brothers and sisters this morning that raised their hand, and for those, Lord, who, who maybe they're, they're so worn they didn't feel like raising their hand, I pray that your spirit would rejuvenate them now. That, Lord, they would not believe the whispers of the enemies, which at this point might even sound like shouts, that they are alone, that they are lost, that they are unloved. That, Lord, they would hear the testimony of your cross that stands over us now and will stand over all eternity. That you deeply and desperately love us so much that you would give your own son for us and you would never, ever leave us. So, Lord, rejuvenate my brothers and sisters through your word this morning. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I am really, really glad that you're with us this morning. Um, and I, I want to start, if you, don't, if you don't know me very well, one of the things that I absolutely love, I, I love movies, all right? I love all kinds of movies. I like comedies, and, and I like action movies or whatever. I've liked my occasional chick flick, but let's move on. I, I, like, uh, I like all kinds of movies. My, my, my favorite type of movie is like the big, epic action movie, right? Like Gladiator. Anybody in here? Gladiator. I, it, it, my man crush with Russell Crowe started there, all right? I love Gladiator, Gladiator the Patriot, right? Even movies like Troy. And one of the things I love about those movies is there's always a moment where the hero is just like, just the hero, right? Like there's a moment in Gladiator where he's just in the arena and he's just ripping through some people, right? And then the bad guy has to stand right there in front of him and he's like, yeah, what? What's up, right? And I just, I love those moments. Or in, in Braveheart after, uh, after they, they kill his wife, you're like, I've never seen the movie. It's like 20 something years old, all right? Like spoiler alerts don't apply anymore. That's your fault that you don't watch TBS on Sunday afternoons because it runs like constantly. But anyway, uh, I, I love there's a scene after they kill his wife where he takes care of all the Englishmen, right? And he's like, oh, 
all cavalier about or whatever. And, and there's just so many incredible, incredible moments like that. But, you know, as I read the scriptures, there's so many times that I come across things that I'm like, I want to see that in a movie, right? Like just incredible moments in the scriptures. One comes from 2 Kings chapter 6. There's this prophet Elisha, all right? And, and, and he's the prophet for the, the people of Israel. And, and the king of Syria is warring against them. And the king of Syria, uh, he's like talking to his, his generals or whatever. And he's like, all right, guys, we need to move in. We're going to take out the Israelites. Let's be here and here. Well, God starts telling Elisha what the king is planning, right? So Elisha just goes to the king of Israel. He's like, hey, yeah, God just told me they're going to be here. So you guys be over here, right? And so after a while, the, 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 king, uh, the king of Syria starts to see this. And he starts to understand this. And he's like, who is against me? Who in my own camp is telling other people? And apparently word about what Elisha was doing was getting around. And so uh, the, they go back to the king and they say, look, we heard about this dude, Elisha. He's a prophet. And God apparently is telling him everything that you're saying. And so the king's like, well, I'll just, I'll fix that. I'll just kill Elisha. Where's Elisha? So they tell him. So in the middle of the night, the king gets, uh, gets his army to surround this city where Elisha is, right? So again, just imagine this. Are you with me, right? Like just imagine this, this, this moment, right? So, so the king is all mad. And he's like evil and whatever. Like, I don't know, maybe Danny DeVito plays him. But anyway, like he's just like, ah, I'm going to kill him. So, so like Elisha goes to sleep and he's in the city and Elisha's played by somebody, like some big hero. I don't, I don't know who could play it. Like maybe, I don't know, me. But anyway, so Elisha is in the city and all of a sudden this army just surrounds him. And it says that his servant gets up early in the morning, goes out and he looks and he just sees this army surrounding them. And he's like, well, this isn't good. And so he freaks out and he goes to Elisha. All right, so just picture this. He, he gets up and he sees this huge army. He knows they're, for, they're coming for them. And so he goes back to Elisha and he says, Elisha, what are we going to do? And here's what Elisha does. Listen to this. He said, don't be afraid. For those that are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, if you're the servant, you're sitting there going, uh, no, Elisha, I know you're a prophet and everything. You're not good at math. One, two, two of us, right? Thousands, right? This is not going to end well for us. And then Elisha prays and he says, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So all of a sudden, he prays that the Lord would open his servant's eyes and the, and the servant can all of a sudden see that there are chariots of fire all around this other army, right? So Elisha wasn't blowing smoke, all right? Elisha wasn't crazy. He, he was really good at math, actually. And he said, no, no, that's more, all right? And so just imagine that. Just imagine opening his eyes. Wouldn't you like to see that? I'd like to see that. Just he opens his eyes, and he just sees all of these chariots of fire around this little army that had come after them. And so that army starts to charge. Just imagine that. This army starts to charge in on them. And Elisha prays, and he says, Lord, would you strike them blind? And then, boom, they don't really know where they are. And so Elijah walks up to him and he goes, hey, you guys looking for Elisha? And they're like, yeah. And this is Elijah talking to them, but they don't know it's Elijah because God struck him blind. And he goes, yeah, you're not in the right place. I'll take you to him. Let's go. And so he leads the army and they follow him and they follow him right into Samaria where they're surrounded by the army of Israel. And he's like, Lord, open their eyes. And they open and they're like, well, okay, well, we're dead. All right. So I'd love to see that, right? Isn't that incredible? And why am, I, why am I talking about this story? Well, number one, it's just awesome. I just love that story. But, but, but why am I talking about it? Because my prayer for us this morning is the same prayer that Elisha prayed for his servants. This, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. My, my prayer is, oh, Lord, please open our eyes that we may see. Elisha's servant went out, and what did he see? 
He saw what was physically true. He saw the physical reality. There's a lot of men and there's a lot of weapons, right? He saw that. But what he failed to see was the spiritual reality of their situation, that our God is much bigger and our God is for us. And I think we're a lot like Elisha's servant. We, we get real focused on what we can see and we lose what is unseen, right? We don't see the spiritual reality all around us. And there is one. There absolutely is one. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So this scripture reveals that not only is there spiritual reality all around us, but it's more real in one sense than what we can see because it's going to last, because it's eternal, and the physical is not. Isn't that incredible? So not only is there a spiritual reality, but this, there's a real conflict for us in this spiritual reality. We, we commonly refer to it in the church as spiritual warfare. Maybe you've heard that terminology before. Ephesians 6 says, Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, all right? So Elisha's servant, not against all those people you see, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, right? So there's a spiritual reality that there's conflict for us as we try to follow Jesus. There's a spiritual reality for us in that, uh, there's a conflict for us in that spiritual reality. That, that's, that's a real thing that's really happening. Now, if there is a spiritual reality and there is real conflict for us, that seems kind of important. Why in the world don't we talk about it more? Why don't we think about it more? I, I think there's a couple reasons. Maybe because uh, we live in, in, in a, a, an age of, of science. That's, that's not scientific thinking. Right to, to, to talk about spiritual things, things you can't measure easily. Maybe for some of us it's just too spooky to think about. Right? Uh, there's a great book, great fiction book written by Frank Peretti called This Present Darkness that, that kind of, it, the, the book goes back and forth between the seen and the unseen and um, it's, it's really, really a fascinating book. But you know, my wife, she, she wouldn't read the book while I was out of town. Uh, because it was just, it, that, that whole idea, it's just kind of a freaky idea, right? And the Christians that we do hear about talking about spiritual warfare, usually that's all they talk about, and they're kind of weird. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like literally, I've met a lady who said that there was a demon in her, in her toaster, all right? And she was trying to cast the demon out of her toaster, okay? So sometimes when you meet people talking about spiritual warfare, that's all they talk about, and they're a little... You know what I mean? Like they're a little out there, right? And so we don't, for whatever reason, we don't talk about it a lot. I, this week I asked other Christians, I just said, give me an incident uh, of spiritual warfare in your life. Give me a recent incident of spiritual warfare in your life. I got a lot of great uh, examples. I got a, a lot of great responses. But you know what I didn't get? I didn't get, I, excuse me, that's not true. I got one response that was within this current month we're in. Just one. All the other ones were like, yeah, like last year, there's a really difficult time, or, or you know, like around Christmas, or, or, you know, this happened and this happened. I only got one that was within this month. So it got me thinking, is spiritual warfare or, or the spiritual conflict, is it, is it, is it a, a reality in our lives? Is it, is it consistent in our lives? And so I went to the scriptures, and it, it might sound like it is. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So there's a lion always on the loose. That seems like it happens a lot. John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, the world hates you. That doesn't seem like something that only happens sometimes. Or Romans 7, 15 says, 
I don't really understand myself, or I, I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Verse 23, there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Doesn't that sound like a conflict you can relate to more than just on a monthly basis? So the reality is the conflict that we're talking about, the spiritual conflict, it's a part of our lives. It's a consistent part of our lives. And then I thought, is it a problem that we aren't always aware of it? Is it a problem that, you know, I talked to other Christians and, and they couldn't think of recent examples of spiritual conflict in their life. Is that a problem that we're not aware of that? I think absolutely. Go back to 1 Peter 5.8. It says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I read a story in February of this year in a place called Paris, California. There's a mountain lion on the loose in this residential area. He mauled a, a homeless man, and that's how they fi figured out he was there. And there were other sightings of him. And as they interviewed people in the area, uh, almost everyone they talked to had gone and gotten some sort of weapon, right? There was one guy who literally, when he pumped his gas, he said he would hold a baseball bat in one hand as he pumped gas. Why? That's pretty smart. All right, like, right, isn't that pretty smart? You know what would not be smart? Walk around with a meat jacket, right? You know what I mean? Like, just whatever. There's no big deal. You know that threat is out there. You know it's active. It'd be foolish not to, to be prepared. It would be foolish not to, to have a readiness about you. In the same way, it's foolish for us and carries great consequences for us to live with an enemy who's constantly in conflict with us and not live with a readiness. My thought is that there's probably a lot of you today who are running around with frustration after frustration that just only leads to more frustration. You're wondering, what is going on? And I would wager that it's probably a spiritual attack, but you don't recognize it as that, and therefore you're not fighting back. I would, I would say that there are probably people in this room right now who are dealing with great difficulties in their relationships, or, or maybe they, they've got someone in their life that they love and they care about who's, who's, who's dealing with some great difficulties, some great consequences of some things, decisions they've made. They seem just trapped where they are, and, and, and I would say that, that you probably feel helpless, and the reality is it's probably a, a, a spiritual issue, a spiritual battle, but you're not recognizing it as that, and so you're not fighting it as that, Right? And I think that's true. And so we're constantly in a spiritual conflict. But why don't we think about it much, right? Like, like, why don't we talk about it much? Why don't we get prepared? I think here's why. One, we don't know our enemies, right? And you can't look for the enemy you don't know. I mean, we, we say the devil or whatever. What does that, what does that mean? What do you mean the devil, right? So, so we don't know our enemies. And I mean, isn't that the terror when it comes to terrorists, right? Because they, they look like everybody else and they fit in with everybody else. And, and you can't identify them easily. And, and so, so we don't know our enemies. So we don't want to think about it much. Or we don't know their strategy. It's difficult to prepare a, a defense for a strategy you're not aware of, right? A lot of people are very, very successful, especially in the sports world, right, for having a strategy that people don't know. Isn't that why you want to keep your playbook hidden, right? You don't go to the other team and say, really glad you're here. We're really glad to have you here at our, our home field. Here is our playbook, right? No, like you keep your strategy hidden because when they don't know it, it's hard to have a defense for it. And I, I thought of one man who used a really surprising strategy and was very successful at it. Um, Bill Veek, he's a Hall of Fame uh, baseball team owner. He... He owned what used to be the St. Louis Browns. Uh, there used to be two baseball teams in St. Louis. Now there's just one that the Lord hates. But anyway, uh, the St. Louis Browns and um, what? They, and so they weren't very good, and he traded a lot of his players often, like more than any other team. Like that was his strategy. And someone asked him about it later, and here's what he said. He said, I always felt like the more Browns players I could place on the other team, the better off we would be. 
and so he had a very strange strategy, but apparently uh, it worked out for him. But it's difficult to prepare for an unknown strategy. So this scripture we're going to look at today, it's going to help us identify our enemies. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under your chairs there. Ephesians chapter 2. There's a table of contents in the front. You can find the book of Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a smartphone, you can use that as well. But I'm sure most of you probably just memorized the Bible and just go there in your brain. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. That's enemy number one, the world. If you, if you want to underline your Bible, right there, the world. That's enemy number one. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedient. That's enemy number two. That's the devil. All right? Number two. Verse three. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. That's enemy number three. That's our flesh. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So here are three enemies summed up right there. The world, the devil, and the flesh. Now these three work against us. They stand against us, right? That, that's why we call it spiritual war. What is, what is war? It's just two uh, sides who are actively opposing one another. That's a war, right? And so they are, they are actively opposing our new life in Christ. These three stand against us. They do not want us to successfully follow the Lord Jesus. They do not want us to successfully worship the Lord Jesus. So these three stand against us. But here's the, here's the interesting thing. We're going to see this this morning. They don't stand individually. They work together against us. So we're going to see their strategy there. So let's, let's quickly look at these three and, and how they fight against us so we can understand how to fight back. Number one, let's start with the devil. Let's start with the devil. In verse two, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The devil wishes to steal the worship of God. In fact, it's what kind of made him the devil in the first place. Isaiah 14 tells us, you said in your heart, talking about the, the devil, I will ascend to heaven. I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. And so he actively wants to steal the worship of God, and he still does. He still actively works to steal and hinder the worship of God, which means for us, as people who worship God with our very lives, that he actively stands against us. He actively works to frustrate us and frustrate our very lives to steal the worship of God. Romans 12:1 says, So, dear brothers and sisters, you and me, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So he, again, actively works to frustrate and stop and hinder the worship of God. Well, guess what? How do we worship God? With our lives. So he's actively working to frustrate your life so that you will not worship the Lord with your life. How does he do it? Verse 2 says he's the prince of the power of the air. John 12, John 14, John 16 all call him the ruler of this world. So he has the world, the world system here at his disposal to wage war against the worshipers of God and the worship of God. So he governs the world system in an effort to hide the truth about God. 
That's what he does. The devil governs the world system in an effort to hide the truth about God. Do you see this today in our own world? Think about it. Don't just like say, okay, Grant. No, think about it in your own world. Think about this in our world. Does our world applaud faith in God? Does our world give credit to God for all that he's done for us? No. The devil governs the world system we live in in an effort to hide the truth about God. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this age, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So again, the devil as the ruler of this world uses this world, governs this world system in such a way to hide the truth about God. So let's keep going. Let's look at our second enemy. If, if, the, if the devil uses the world, what is the world? The world. Verse 1 says, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. I want to use a theologian, uh, Thabitian Iwabla's his name, his definition of this enemy. He call, his, here's how he defines the world. <clears throat> the world, under the sway of the evil one, is a system of thoughts, values, ideas, and actions that expresses real hostility toward and rejection of God and God's people. I'm going to read that to you again. It should be up on the screen. You can follow along. The world under the sway of the evil one is a system of thoughts, values, ideas, and actions that expresses real hostility toward and rejection of God and God's people. There's scripture that backs this up. 1 John chapter 2 says, Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father but from this world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So Satan has sabotaged the world of God, the world that God made, creating and inventing a system that's hostile toward the creator. That's what he's done in our world. He's, he's sabotaged our world system and created a new system that, that actively works against and is hostile towards the creator. That's what it says. It says you can't love the world and love God. It's hostile towards God. And look at what 1 John says there in chapter 2. What it says uh, is in this world system. It says the world has the desires of the flesh. There's desires for things that are opposed to the things of God. In Galatians 5, it tells us to not walk uh, uh, by the desires of the flesh, but walk by the Spirit, that, that they're opposed, right? And that's what it's saying, this, that this world system, uh, it, it creates and it has the desires of the flesh, things that are opposed to the desires of the Spirit. And you go, well, what are those? Well, look, look at verse 22 of Galatians 5. It says, the fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. Is this true? Do you see the opposite of these things cultivating our culture? Because if it is true that our world has the desires of the flesh, things that are opposed to the spirit, then the opposite of these things will be in our world. So is that true? Do you see hatred in our culture? Do you see discontentment in our culture? Do you see impatience, rudeness, conflict, harshness, inconsistency, indulgence? Do you see these things in our world? Well, I think that we do. And again, they're opposed to God. Another part of our, uh, this, this system, uh, this world system that the enemies has made, the desires of the eyes are there. That's a constant desire for things and a lack of fulfillment. We're always wanting more, right? Ecclesiastes 1.8 says, no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. Just use money as an example, right? Anybody in here could use more money? Yeah, me too, right? Uh, ben Franklin said, money has never made man happy, nor will it. There's nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more of it one has, the more wants. 
the more one wants. And, and our world system always leaves us wanting more. That's, that's, that's how our world system works, right? It really cultivates greed. I mean, think about it. Think about promotions, right? You get the promotion you want, there's always another one, right? You could always take a step higher, right? Anybody seen the, the movie, The Social Network, about Facebook? You know what he says? He says, uh, a million dollars isn't cool. You know what is cool? A billion dollars, right? You always want more. Think about it. You got the latest iPhone? I do, and I'm waiting for the next one, right? Like, I, I'm looking online for the next one. And as soon as it comes out, guess what? Mine's going to break. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, we always want more. And that's in our world system. It says our world system always has, also has the pride of life, which is what? The desire to have oneself to be put above others, to be put of most importance. Isn't that what our world has, right? Isn't that what it cultivates? Look at advertising in our world. Advertising is, uh, uh, puffs us up, and it's all about us. Burger King, have it your way. McDonald's, anyone remember McDonald's old slogan, you deserve a break today, right? How many of you thought, think that's just absolutely ridiculous? Think about that. Think about the people who eat McDonald's. Usually it's college students. What do they do all day? Nothing. They slept, right? They slept till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Then they woke up and they said, I do deserve a break. I really do. This bed is really comfortable. I need to get out, right? Or Dr. Pepper's new thing, one of a kind. You're one of a kind. There's no one else like you. That's our world system. And, and again, the world doesn't work on its own. With, this, with Satan guiding it to be hostile towards God, it would still fall short of assaulting us if it didn't join with our last enemy. So here we go. The world works with and entices the Christian's flesh. That's our third enemy. It, it, it works with and entices the Christian's flesh. Look at verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So Satan governs the world to make an attack on the Christian by stirring up their flesh. What is the flesh, right? Is it just this skin stuff, right? What is the flesh? Here's what it is. It's our sinful desires and thoughts that remain with us, remain with Christians as we continue to follow Christ, right? The, the flesh is something we will constantly have with us until the Lord ultimately puts an end to it one day when he either returns or he calls us to himself. Romans 7.23 says, There's another power within me that's at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Right? No one can deny that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know that we still have this flesh. Right? Don't you do things you don't want to do? I do all the time. I run my mouth too much not to, right? Like we do. We, we do things we don't want to. We say things that we don't want to. We, we say, I want to follow Jesus. I, wanna f- I understand that, that there's joy in his commandments, and yet still I'm disobedient at times. Why? Because the flesh is still there. And Satan knows it, and he knows it's our weakness. And as any smart adversary would do, what do you do? You attack the weakness. So Satan can use this world to distract and entice our flesh so that we might neglect living by the Spirit of God. Romans 8 says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man's death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful man's hostile mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So to be enticed by the world, to follow our natural desires, what the scripture just says, it, it, we put ourselves before others. We're, we're greedy, we're unkind, we're lazy, we're not considerate, we hold grudges, we deny forgiveness, right? Haven't we all been like that? Well, to follow those natural inclinations is to, according to the scripture, be controlled by the sinful nature and therefore not walking by the spirit and therefore not pleasing God. And you might say, you might be skeptical and say, how does a world system entice the flesh in me, right? I'm in control of me. I can do what I want here. 
Well, well he, he does it quite easily, actually. He uses our, our world to, that, that by, by rewarding sinful behavior, it entices our flesh, right? I mean, think about it. To be dishonest in business might what? It might have a financial reward, right? To smudge a few numbers here, right? To, to, to upsell somebody or whatever you got to do. Uh, but, but we see that there's easy reward. There's immediate gratification for sinful behavior in our world. Another way that, that he uses the world to entice our, our flesh is by making sinful behavior easier in our world. I mean, think about it. Like, the Lord hates divorce, but in our culture, like, I could go tomorrow and get a divorce. Why? Because I want to, right? Our, our world makes it easier. Or think about, like, on your smartphone right now, like, you could, you, you could have porn on your smartphone, like, literally right now. Don't right now. We're in church. It'd be weird. But anyway, like, you literally could. It's easy. It's accessible. Think about gossip. It's something that's so easy. It just kind of flows out of our mouth. And guess what? It's accepted in our culture, right? How many times have you talked about somebody or, or, or maybe you picked up, like, one of those gossip magazines and someone has come up to you and slapped your hand and said, that is gossip, right? Like, no. Like, people gossip. It's what you do, right? It's easy in our culture. And and also, he can entice our flesh by glamorizing sinful behavior so that, that, that it looks like joy. It doesn't look like what it is, which is bondage. I mean, think about, think about our culture. Think about media and entertainment. Think about how it glamorizes uh, ways of living that we know don't honor the Lord. I mean, I remember growing up as a, as a, a teenage boy trying to figure out how to honor God uh, with my sexuality. You know what my world taught me? It says that the mark of a man is sexual promiscuity. The mark of a man is conquering other women. That, that's what our world was teaching me is glamorizing things that were going to hurt me in, uh, ultimately, right? And so again, but it was appealing. Why? Because my flesh is still there. It's still in me. So however he does it, he guides our world system to entice our flesh. So again, I ask you, have you experienced spiritual warfare recently? Your response should be, yeah, only in days that end in why, right? We all experience this conflict. So how do we fight back? How do we fight back? Since our own desires and thoughts usually are the battleground for the spiritual warfare, let's start there. Number one, put our flesh to death. Put our flesh to death. Romans 8 verse 12 says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body. Well, how do you put these sinful deeds of the body to death? Well, first off, you need to find the source, right? They've got to come from somewhere. Where are these misdeeds, where are these sinful deeds coming from in my flesh? Where are they coming from? Matthew 15, Jesus said, the things that proceed out of your mouth come from your heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. So what he's saying, what? Where's our sinful, uh, our sinful deeds coming from? Where are they coming from? Where's that source that we need to cut off? Where's that root we need to attack? Our heart. We've got a heart problem. So if you have a greed problem, it's not just because you like money. It's, there's something wrong in your heart, right? You have a lying problem. It's not just because you, you, you like stretch the truth. There's a heart problem there, right? So how do we attack the root to put our flesh to death? We have to attack the source. How? How do we do that? Well, according to Romans 8, we're to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. 
Again, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What does it mean to set your minds on the things of the Spirit? That sounds really spiritual and awesome and great. I'd love to see it on a bumper sticker. What does it mean to set your minds on the things of the Spirit? Well, look at the armor of God. In Ephesians 6, it tells us to put on the armor of God. So, so what is the Spirit in the armor of God? Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now we're getting somewhere, right? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Swords are used for killing things. I want to kill the root of my sinful desires, my, my, my misdeeds, right? So, so let's use the sword of the Spirit, which is what? Which is the Word of God. So do you want to kill your flesh? Do you want to put it to death? You need to embrace the Word of God in your life. Read it. Memorize it. Listen to it. Use it specifically to attack that root in your life. Do you struggle with lust? Memorize 2 Corinthians 10.5. Do you struggle with worry and anxiety? Memorize Matthew 6, 25 through 27. Do you struggle with pride? Read Philippians chapter 2. Read about the Lord Jesus. Use the sword of the Spirit to put to death the, the source of our flesh, right? Which is what? It's our sinful heart. Use the sword of the Spirit to let God put to death those things, put to death those earthly desires, and to give you something better. The second thing, cultivate a hatred against the world system by loving Jesus. Cultivate a hatred against the world system by loving Jesus. Notice I said world system, all right? And I think that's what the scriptures are communicating, not just the world, all right? So because for God so loved the world that he gave his own son, all right? So remember, we're not hating people. We're hating this world system. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2, 15. You'll naturally love the world. The only way to change that relationship is to what? It's to stir up your affections for Jesus. And what do I mean by affections? I say that a lot. Here's what I mean. By affections, I mean the things that I have for Jesus that, that are, are love or, or wonder about Jesus or adoration for Jesus or deep respect for Jesus. So what does that mean for you? How can you stir up your affections for Jesus? Well, my affections are stirred up when, when I hear the truth about Jesus, whether it's in song or, or preaching. I mean, and just sitting there, that's that song we just listened to, the, the one right before the, the message. Uh, I think I've heard that on Caleb or whatever. I haven't really thought about the words or anything, but just sitting there and reading the words and thinking about them, thinking about the truth um, uh, of, of God for us when we're hurting, um, it stirred me up for Jesus, stirred my affections up for Jesus. So sometimes it's in songs. Sometimes it's in preaching or teaching or, or, or listening to podcasts or even in conversations with other friends, other believers. So I try to be around people who talk about him. I try to be around other believers who want to talk about him because that stirs me up, stirs my affections. Then they're also stirred when I serve others like he wants me to serve others. Anybody in here um, serve with us at our, our food pantry every third Saturday? When you go over there and serve, tell me there's not some incredible joy that the Lord fills you with. Tell me he doesn't stir your affections for himself, doesn't he? Right? That's one of the ways that I stir my affection is serving like he wants me to. Another way they're stirred is, is to stop and be quiet and to read his word and talk to him. This, this world keeps us moving fast. Don't you have all kinds of obligations that are always pulling you from this way to this way to this way? Just stopping and like knowing that he's God. Just stopping and just slowing down for like once in the day and just spend it with God. Just to sit there with him. Just to read about him. 
That stirs me up. That stirs my affections. They're stirred when I, I, I'm in my car and I sing at the top of my lungs to him, right? If you've ever like driven down the street and got to a red light and you're next to somebody and they just look like an absolute fool. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're just getting it. You know what I mean? Like I realize I do that when I looked in my rearview mirror just the other day and Max is in the back seat. He's going, look, Daddy, I'm dancing with my head like you do, right? So anyway, like... <laughs> We were just going at it, right? But you know what? That stirs my affection for Jesus, just to sing at the top of my lungs to him. They're stirred when, when I get to talk to my kids about him. When I sit there and I, and I get to tell my son that in this world where he's going to get beaten up and in this world that's going to just constantly uh, uh, stab him in the back, there's one who's forever faithful. That stirs me up to talk to my kids about the Lord Jesus. Again, let me ask you this. What stirs your affections for Jesus? Because if you want to build a hatred for the world system, to not be duped by it, to not, to, not, uh, to, to not let it just pass by you unnoticed, but to have a hatred for it, then you have to replace it with an affection for Jesus. So what does it? What stirs your affections for Jesus? Fill your lives with those things. So with our flesh dead by the sword of the Spirit, our affections for Jesus stirred up, we can employ our last tactic in the fight. Here it is, number three. Take a stand against the devil. Take a stand against the devil. Ephesians 6 says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. Well, how do we do that? How do we, how do we stand our ground? I think we have some understanding in Mark chapter 9. Uh, Jesus' disciples go out, and uh, very commonly they would go out in his name, uh, and they would heal they would cast out demons and things like that. Well, there was a boy with a demon, so his disciples went out, and they, they, they tried to cast him out, and the demon would not go out. And he would not go out, and he would not go out. And so Jesus, uh, ultimately Jesus comes in, and, and they're thinking to themselves, and, and the scriptures say they say it quietly to themselves that, um, well, we, we tried to cast him out. Like, we, we tried to do it in your name and everything, and it just didn't work, right? Here's what Jesus said. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer by anything but prayer sometimes in the most difficult situations in our lives when we have to stand against the enemy and you know what i'm talking about i don't have to give you examples you know those moments where you have to stand against the enemy you know he wants one thing you know he wants one thing you know god wants another you know what i'm talking about in your own lives some sort of temptation maybe it's some sort of situation with somebody else whatever it is you know and in those moments, what Jesus said to his disciples is what he says to us. The only thing that's going to give you victory is prayer. Is prayer. How many of you can name a difficult spiritual issue you're dealing with right now? Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's a loved one who doesn't know the Lord. Maybe it's an addiction in your life. Maybe someone you know seems trapped by something. The way we fight, according to our Father, is we pray. And we ask him to fight on our behalf. You know, James chapter 4, verse 7, I'm about to read this verse. You've heard it before, but usually we just quote the last part. Usually we just say, resist the devil and he'll flee from you, right? And we forget the first part. What's the first part? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Is there something you need to stand firm against? Then do it in prayer. That's the way we win. That's the way we take a stand against the devil. Not standing up going, I know your tricks, buddy right? I got you. I'm not going to do that. I know better, right? I've got accountability. What are you going to do, buddy, right? That's not how we do it. That's not how we do it. We humbly pray, and we ask the Lord to win a victory for us. I, I spent some time with a friend of mine recently, and, and I asked him, I said, how are you doing? Like, how are you, how are you feeling? What's going on with you? I hadn't seen him in a while. It had been about a month since we visited, 
And he says, I'm drained. I'm just, I'm, I've just got nothing left. And I said, well, what is going on? And turns out he met a guy at work who um, was not a believer, and, and he was trapped by some of the decisions he had made. He was just in a terrible, terrible place. And so he struggled with shame, and he struggled with doubt, and he struggled with all these things. And, and so my friend shared the gospel with him, shared that, that God had one to set him free, and he just, he just wouldn't. He was very resistant. And so what my friend did for a solid month was he prayed, and he fasted, and he prayed, and he fasted, and he prayed, and he fasted. He didn't work on fancy arguments for this guy. He didn't show up at his house, and every time he walked out to get the paper, hit him in the face with a gospel track, right? He didn't do any of that. He didn't just keep inviting him to church. He prayed and he fasted and he prayed and he fasted and he prayed and he fasted. And it took everything out of him to do that. It was, a, it was a real spiritual battle. I'm telling you, like big time spiritual battle that we will hear about one day when we stand before our Father and he just uh, prayed and he fasted. And guess what? At the end of the month, the Lord gave him the victory and that man was set free and he became a believer. Why? Because he stood firm against the devil. How? Not with his intellect, not with his knowledge of the Bible, and, and boy does he have it. None of that. Not with his arguments. None of that. He stood against the devil. How? Prayer. He prayed and he fasted and he prayed and he fasted and he said, Father, win this one for me. Win it. Win it. Win it. And the Lord did it. Isn't that incredible? So to close, just to sum it up simply, the way we fight back, kill the flesh, hate the world, stand against the devil... And Christians, I want you to be encouraged because as we fight, fight happily. Because guess what? We've already won. 1 John 5 says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We fight from a very unique place. We fight from a place of victory. We've already won. We've already overcome the world. How? Through our faith in Jesus Christ. What He's already done for us. It'll stand forever and it's enough. We've already won. So don't fight with a uh, a weariness. Don't fight with a, uh, uh, with a worry or an anxiety. We've already won. Fight with a joy. Knowing that as you fight, you honor the Lord. And knowing that as you fight, you participate in whatever He's doing in your life. Isn't that an incredible privilege to fight for our King? I think it is. So let's fight for our King. Would you pray with us? Lord Jesus, before we take communion, and, and thank you for that. Thank you for the gift of that. But before we do that, I want to ask for my brothers and sisters out there that you would open their eyes to the spiritual reality that's all around them. Open their eyes that they are in a spiritual conflict every single day. And Lord, would you give us um, the courage to stand and to fight and give us the wisdom to fight well. Not to stand arrogantly or pridefully and say, I can just do whatever, I can take whatever the, the enemy has to throw at me. But instead, to be alert, be on our guard. Lord, to, to kill our affections for the things of this world with, by replacing them with affections for your Son. Lord, to, to kill our flesh with the sword of the Spirit, to, to be in the Word of God, to let it transform us, let it kill those, those desires. 
Lord, again, teach us to pursue the things that stir our affections. And Lord, may we stand firm against the devil in prayer. I wonder how many times I've just sat there and gotten the snot kicked out of me because I wouldn't humble myself before you, submit myself to you, and pray. I fought arrogantly and pridefully. I can do this. I can handle this. Rather than submitting to you and saying, Dad, go fight for me. So Lord, teach us to fight well, to honor you in that. Give us um, victory for your name, for your fame. Lord, I also want to pray for others in this room. There are others in this room that um, they haven't begun to fight. Lord, what your word says is that some people in this room are dead in their sins and their trespasses. They haven't been forgiven. They don't follow you. And so, Lord, they're headed exactly where all are headed outside of you, which is eternal separation from you. They're going to live a life without satisfaction in you, without your joy. And then when this life is over, that's it. They'll be separated from you forever. Lord, my prayer today is that um, they'd start fighting today. You'd make them alive today. My prayer today is that they'd have the courage to say, I don't want to live my way anymore. They'd have the courage right now in their seats where they are. They know who they are. They know if they're following you or not. My prayer is that they would have the courage to say right now to you, I don't want to do it my way anymore. I want to follow you. Lord, forgive me. Change me. Come into my life. Make me new. Lord, that's my prayer today for them. Spirit of God, that you would win them today. Because there's a battle over them right now, whether they know it or not. Maybe they're wrestling with doubt. Maybe they're wrestling with fear. I don't know about all this stuff. There's, there's a battle waging for them right now. The enemy doesn't want them to see. He, he's blinded them already to your truth, and he wants them to stay that way. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would win them today. You'd break through that today. You'd set them free today. And they'd start following you today. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.